what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films. I am Alan and with me is Chris, here to talk about some films, both in theaters and online, that you may enjoy. How are you doing, Chris? Doing good. Good. Good to see you again, as always. And we do have uh, some some pretty interesting and good diverse group of films we're going to be discussing today. We have two two main reviews. Uh, we'll be discussing the documentary Bully in a little while after our main review, uh, and also have some movie news and uh, recommendations from each of us at the end of the show about some movies you might be able to find online. But first, we're going to move right into our main review, which is the current uh, hit film, The Amazing Spider Man. How did you get out there? The fire escape. It's 20 stories. Your doorman's intimidating. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Mr. Parker. Not much to tell, really. Peter lives with his aunt and uncle. Did you catch that spider guy yet? No, but we will. This guy wears a mask like an outlaw. I think he's trying to do something maybe the police can't. Can't? <laughs> you know, if you're going to steal cars, don't dress like a car thief. You a cop? You seriously think I'm a cop? In a skin tie, red and blue suit. Alan, it's the summer of 2012. Yes, it is. We have three superhero movies. We've mm-hmm. had the Avengers. Batman's on the horizon coming down. Yes. But right now, we're f- everybody's focusing on the amazing Spider-Man. Sure. It's been five years since Raimi's three movies about Spider-Man. Is that all? Wow, it's flown by. <laughs> Time flies. It Time has flies. flown by. First two, pretty well received. Third one, yeah. you know, a little bit mixed Not on. so much, yeah. So with this one, it's a new director, Mark Webb, and a new guy playing Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield from Facebook fame. Uh, he was not the lead character, but he was the friend in that movie. Yes, he, he was. So question I have for you mm-hmm. is, you know, it's been five years. So did the spider hatch from the egg a little too soon, or was timing perfect for this reboot? And I guess a simpler way to put that would be, this movie was about Spider-Man, but was it amazing? Ah, there's a lot of questions you just threw in there. Let me see how best I can tackle that. A little background first, I'll give you on this. I am a huge Spider-Man fan. I was as a kid. That was the comics I read every single month. Uh, All the cartoons, I can sing uh, sing all the theme songs from all the different cartoon shows. I mean, I was pretty heavy duty into it as a kid. I now have uh, a a young five-year-old son who is obsessed with Spider-Man. To the point where he wears a Spider-Man costume around the house almost every day now. Hmm. He saved up for six months for a web shooter hmm. that he got at the store the other so day. Did he make it himself? No, no, no. He, he's okay. not quite Peter Parker <laughs> level yet. Okay. Um, so Spider-Man is all around my my family and with my kids now. And so uh, this movie was very, very heavily anticipated. Okay. Now, to your question about did it hatch too soon? Seeing as that 2007 or five years ago or so was the last Spider-Man movie. Um, Maybe a bit too soon. Maybe. I think I would have appreciated this film more in another year or two than 2012. But that being said, it is what it is. I think there had to do with some sort of, uh, there may have been some legal ramifications that ownership of the Spider-Man property would have lapsed lapsed if they didn't do something with the film. They did want to go the direction Sam Raimi was planning on going, maybe because of the third movie. Maybe because he wasn't interested. I'm not sure what happened there. And plus, I do think Tobey Maguire, uh, the Mary Jane, who was that? Uh, Kristen Dunst. Yeah, Kristen Dunst. Probably have, they, they played out their roles. I think they were getting too old, I think. And maybe they just kind of, they'd run their pace. So, back to the question. Was it too soon? Yeah, maybe a little bit. But I think they kind of had to do what they had to do. <laughs> but was the film amazing? I think it was. I freaking love this film wow i had such a great time with it as a big spider-man fan was it perfect no there were a lot of things about it that I did not like but as a whole it en- it entertained me enough to the point where i was able to look overlook the few things that i did have some issues with which i'll be happy to mention a little bit later on uh but overall the film i thought was exciting i thought the actors andrew garfield and emma stone 
Mm-hmm. Both of them playing much, much younger characters than they really are in real life. Yeah, I had a problem with that. Okay, we'll talk about that in a moment. They were playing you know, high school students, even though I think they're easily both in uh, late 20s, early 30s, maybe even. But you know what? Those two actors just mopped the floor, I thought, of Toby, with Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. Agreed. I well, thought I actually thought in the old Spider-Man movies that Tobey Maguire was a horrible Peter Parker. I thought he was a very boring Spider-Man. Um, and Kirsten Dunst, she was fine, but nothing spectacular about her in that role. Honestly, the Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker we got in this film, I thought were perfect. Perfect acted, perfect uh, characterization, everything. I thought the action was really good. I thought it was exciting. Eh, the, the villain, a little lackluster. Not the best villain I think they could have thrown in the mix, personally, with the lizard. Um, what's the guy's name who played him? Oh, it's oh boy. kind of hard to say. I know. Like Rife Ethons or yeah, something Right, like exactly. Yeah. However we want to say his name. You'll recognize him if you, <laughs> if you, if you know him. You've seen him in other movies. Yeah. Great actor. Mm-hmm. But I do think the villain was not terribly interesting to me as a villain. Um, but and I'll, we can get into some of the things that didn't work as well. But I will say, overall, I was very happy. My kids were very happy. I wish this was the Spider-Man movie they would have come out with in 2002 instead of the one we got from Sam Raimi. I think I would have looked at it with a much, much stronger perspective than even the one I have now. So like I said, if it had been a few more years from now, I think it would have been even more appreciated by me. As it is now, I really enjoyed it with a few misgivings, but overall, really enjoyed it. How about you, Chris? Well, I enjoyed it. It's not a bad film, but I guess there was so much residue from those other three films that I just couldn't get certain aspects of it in my mind. You know, it was so similar. I mean, it's, it's, it's an origin story. It is story. a very similar movie. And so they, you know, they are kind of rebooting it, so they tell the origin story, but there just weren't many interesting parts to me. Not to say I was bored, because it was well acted. Right. I just didn't find it that interesting. Hmm. Um, if you hadn't seen the other three Spider-Man movies... Um, then this you'd probably think this was I think you'd be you'd be well served by seeing this one and just forgetting the other three because it is far superior it's just to me I I will say I want to save it one thing I thought was really really good I'll save that part for when you mm -hmm. get into things we really liked but it just had to do with I didn't feel there was a lot of new material I don't want to spoil some things although if you've seen the other Spider-Man movies you'll understand what I'm talking about trying to keep this vague He's interested in Gwen Stacy. You mentioned right. that. Sure. Okay. In the original three Spider-Man movies, there's kind of a, I can't do this breakup moment that kind of centers around a cemetery. Mm-hmm. Okay. That yeah. happens again. We have one here too. And yes. I really, really, really didn't like that. That really bothered me. Like, and it's this whole thing like, I need to be Spider-Man. You need, and it was like, really? This is like copy and paste out of the movie. Better acted here. Yeah. But I really, I was kind of like, oh man. I'll admit the ending with the, the, scene happening in conjunction with a with a funeral Trying to keep it vague yeah uh and the choice that peter parker makes with regards to the girl that he's seeing yes very similar that did smack of some repeating uh, from the first movie but i'll tell you you know i think in a way i kind of actually liked the fact that i was watching the origin story again mm-hmm. because i was watching it to see what were they going to make it how are they going to make it a little different? How are they going to- it wasn't dramatically different, but it did have enough differences that it kept my attention. I wanted to know, oh, so they didn't go this route. They're going to go this route this mm-hmm. time. That was, to me, interesting. Um, I do think the ending, like you just brought out, the funeral part, yes, was probably the most – I kind of thought to myself walking out, wow, they, they just ended on exactly the same note the first movie did. Yes, that was a little disappointing, um, although I think I liked the way this one ended better than I did the first Spider-Man movie. This one had more of an emotional resonance to me than the first Spider-Man movie did. Right. But it was very similar in the way it was plotted out. I agree with that. And I, I thought that to say a good thing that, you know, the original ones, the way they did kind of his origin story as far as like costume development. Right. And exploring how he's able to shoot webs, I thought was much more interestingly done in this one. Okay. So I, yeah, I appreciated agree. that. And I, I appreciate that. Well, I think overall, uh, it sounds like we're, we're kind of saying the same thing. I was, I was definitely more enthusiastic about it maybe than you were, but we're, we both agree that if the previous Spider-Man films had not existed, or if this one came out several years later than it did, right. The appreciation factor would have been a much would higher for it. Sure. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Some things I thought really worked in the film, and I'd love to hear kind of your positives as well before we get to some of the criticisms of it, maybe. Um, I, I mentioned the acting already. I think overall acting was better. 
Um, even Sally Fields as, as Aunt May and um, uh, Martin Sheen as Uncle Ben. I liked both of them better. Like Sally Field, Martin Sheen annoyed me. Really? Yeah. And I, I, I'd have to... There were just certain scenes that it was just like, I don't know, because he was such a big name and he was kind of playing this more like humble guy than yeah. what I expect from him. Hmm. It wasn't that it was bad acted, just somehow, I guess maybe Miss Cat. Sally Field, I thought, was like, she was great. On. She was good. Yeah, yeah. And I was really Overall, I think her. just acting across the board. I can't think of a single role or character that was in the original films that I thought was not better acted here this time around. Um, I think everything got elevated acting wise. I thought the action was fine. I mean, I don't think it was better or worse than the action we had in the first movie. I liked the villain, even though I do think the lizard was a, was not the most impressive villain in the world. I hated the green goblin in the first movie, the way mm-hmm. they made it work with the uh, power Rangers type of me- robot mask. And it just didn't work for me at all. So I did like at least where they went with this villain this time better than the first Spider-Man movie. I, Another thing that kind of there again, I think one of the things that bothered me about this movie, why I'm not as maybe as excited mm-hmm. as you are, is the similarities that kind of wove themselves to use a web metaphor into this movie bothered me, mm-hmm. and that kept me from just thinking it was awesome. Right. A similarity you mentioned the Green Goblin. If I'm not mistaken, because you know it's been a few years since I've seen those um, those original movies. Green Goblin kind of has this like psychological problem. Like he's kind of like split and it's like good goblin, bad goblin. He kind of has this dialogue in his head. He's kind of confused or there's something going on. He's psychotic. I mean, it it, it does have a, it's a dual personality thing. Okay. Okay. Um, in this movie with the lizard, that was kind of going on again. And I was like, really? You know, so it's just little things like that, that kind of bother me. And actually, you know, I kind of was like, okay, but then, Please stay during the credits because there's, of course, the obligatory like mm-hmm. there scene. Has to be. They show. At least they put it halfway through the credits, not the very right. end of the credits. Right. Yeah. Which, when that scene happened, I will not. Sh- I mean, go into detail, but it's it's kind of a scene that it does use the lizard. Okay, I'll yes. say. And I kind of was like, "Do what?" Like I, I, I kind of didn't. Understand. Oh, I can talk about that though. Oh, okay, okay. Well, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe after Spoiler the recording is done, maybe we'll okay. keep talking for a few minutes. If if you're at the end of the show and you listen through the end, uh, our end song. Keep listening and see if we so, yeah, if you uh, catch on spoiler, all a few minutes at the listen end. Listen after here. the theme music, and Alan and I will yeah, discuss. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little kinda, bit more I about was this. Kind of like, is that just a revisit? But that that kind of bothered me. Yeah. The whole split personality. I, I'll it. admit the number one fault of this whole movie is that it did have too many similarities and too many comparisons back to the original. If it wasn't for that, I think there again, your enjoyment of it would be even greater than what I had, which was pretty darn enjoyable anyway. Sure. Um, now, what are some things? a couple more things I thought were really impressive about the film. And then we'll go into some more criticism because I do have some, I do have some things that didn't work for me. Um, I already mentioned the acting, but overall the story, the relationship between Peter and Gwen, I totally bought. I thought it was well handled. I thought it was real. Um, where I always felt, felt the Peter Mary Jane relationship in the old movies felt a little forced. I just never understood those two people being, well, Mary Jane being attracted to Peter in the old films here. I totally got it. I totally saw these two people coming together, the attraction, the, uh, the, the kind of the, the, the intrigue between it. it. It was, it worked for me. And I think these two actors really pulled that relationship off. I actually think those scenes were probably the most enjoyable scenes for me when it's those two having a dialogue or dealing with a situation to me were really, really fun to watch. Yeah. I I'm on the same page with that. I think it was a more convincing relationship. Mm-hmm. Overall. Sure. I think the fact that the costume and all the action was more realistic is definitely in the first half of the movie. Now it got a little CGI heavy towards the end, but I think overall when he's learning and going out and stopping the car thief and stuff, those, a lot of those shots were without CGI at all. Mm-hmm. I noticed, and it helped. I think it just felt more real. real. Uh, the costume felt real. The everything just felt more authentic. Did you see the movie in 3d? Yes, I did. Okay, good. Because I did not. Okay. Was the 3d part in that CGI part at the end or was it pretty spread throughout? Like the CG or the 3D part that's really heavy that, you know, they basically like 3D really was not actually I would recommend anybody. You don't need to see this thing in 3D because the 3D was not heavily used at all. Well, actually, and that kind of irritates me because I feel like sometimes me not watching it in 3D, there were certain scenes towards the end where it was like 
you would see a shot and you're like, okay, that's just in there. So that there are one or two shots that or... you know were for 3D, but overall the 3D experience was kind of a letdown because it really didn't yeah. add anything to the film. Interesting. It really didn't. I actually was very disappointed hmm. with the 3D. Supposedly it was shot in 3D, but I couldn't have told. Oh. It, it looked like one of the upconverted films to me. Really? In that, yeah. Okay. So Interesting. I don't recommend anybody paying for 3D. There was no reason, no benefit to it. So, uh, um, but yeah, just I thought overall a fun film. I'm very. I'm very uh, optimistic about where they're going with the series now. Mark Webb, he did 500 Days of Summer, which is a film I really liked. Completely different film. But the one thing that he does seem to have a real handle on is relationships and writing characters that are going through a relationship or building a relationship. I think he's got that down pat. Both films really played off that strength. Um, So I'm excited. I hope they land him for the second film. I don't know what the plans are. I know the actors are all committed for three films, so that's a good thing. So uh, we'll see where it goes from there. I I think, too, one of the problems, you know, you said you're a Spider-Man guy. Yeah. And I I tend to be, as anyone who's probably listened to the podcast, I'm I'm more of a Batman guy. Yes, yes. (laughs) And You You are the Dark Knight. I am the Dark Knight. He's more grounded in realism (laughs) and... And I know Spider-Man, you know, which plays true to the comic books, he's more of a joking person. Yes. All, that, all that I did not have a problem with. Because, and I thought he did a much better job, Andrew Garfield. Much better. More like jokey. And when he was Spider-Man, he would joke with the villains or joke with his enemies yes. or joke with the car thieves and stuff like that. So I thought all that worked. And I enjoyed it. And I thought mm-hmm. it was really good. The one thing that, there again, I guess it was kind of a plot device that I wasn't really sure why they did it. Mm-hmm. Other than to kind of tug at the heartstrings, which you know that irritates me, mm-hmm. was the use of the um, cranes. Yeah. That kind of irritated me. I'm not well, going to say why, but basically, he re- Spider-Man, kind of towards the end, he's ending up having to rely on some outside help. And how that He's having to rely about, on some people in the city to help him get somewhere. Yes. And... He's because obviously of an, a union member. Let's yeah. just say that because, he because of an injury he, 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 <laughs> he endures. Um, yes. No, if you think through that scene really carefully, it's hokey. It really doesn't make sense. No. <laughs> However, it got me. It worked for me. I, I think every good movie with a character like this, Spider-Man is a character so rooted in New York City. That is his thing. He is a basically a byproduct of that city. To see people in the city rally behind them, that's very classic comic book Spider-Man. And I, and I agree. Worked. And I think if they had just handled it, he, he wins the trust of this individual. And the yes. individual ends up lining up. See Thomas Howell, by the way. Oh, okay. Ends up, yeah, ends up lining man. up the uh, – <laughs> awesome. He, he ends up lining the cranes to yeah. help Spider-Man. Okay. Right. If it had just been like – he had done it, yeah. then it would have been. A, but the fact that they pushed it as far as they did, because I believe that this guy trusts Spider-Man now. I, oh, sure. I totally get And I actually yeah. liked the rescue scene that ends up in winning his trust. Yes. I liked that whole scene. I thought that was very well, well done. That was one of my good parts that I thought was yeah. surprising how it was handled. And it was handled really well. Sure. Like you're saying, relationships. Yes. But then the quote unquote payoff of that later. It was just, a little hokey. It was a little much. I'll much. admit it was hokey. Uh, Got a couple groans in the audience when that happened. However, <laughs> I bought it. I was you didn't okay see it with it at the same it. time as me. Yeah, right. One of those groans Wait a minute, that me. was you groaning back there. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that was a, okay. That was a little, little much, but it worked for me. I liked the scene personally. Um, uh, some criticisms I had. There okay. were a few things that didn't work as well for me. Yes, the two characters are really old for their part. Yes. Okay. They're playing seventeen-year-old high school students. But they're pushing 30. And even though I thought Andrew Garfield probably pulled it off better than Gwen Stacy, Gwen Stacy did look older. I'm sorry. She didn't pull off a 17-year-old girl. Yeah. Um, That was a little distracting at times. However, the way I kind of rationalize it in my brain is that, well, the trade-off is I'm getting two really, really good actors playing these parts. Okay. Question. Uh, Question. See, this is this is the thing that bothers me with the whole – like, you know, let's just – you know, I know people hate the phrase reboot, but we'll call it a reboot – why couldn't they have just been college students? Why did they have to do high school? Because yeah. then everything, it wouldn't have bothered me. It's like, okay, but when they're in high school, I just don't buy, like, just do college. Like, yeah. you know, why did they have to? I'll tell you in? why. Because, and it's going to relate to even our next review, talking about teenagers mm. and pressures and all that. The sim- Spider-Man is a symbol for 
teen nerds. angst and pressure and everything else going around. Okay. You put them in college, kids are normally a little more confident in their life by that point. Okay. It's not got quite the background around it is. You don't have the bully, the, the Flash Thompson picking on them and all oh, that. Oh, let's you talk know. about Flash Thompson. Okay, well, what's with Flash Thompson <laughs> is the school bu- bully. He is, uh, you know, in, in the comic books, he's been there from day one, always tormenting Peter Parker. But he eventually, in the comics and, and in the movie as well, turns out to be a huge Spider-Man fan. What's your what's your issue there? I didn't I didn't buy it. Really, um, you didn't buy him as a character, or just what? Yeah, and I didn't buy his like sudden turnaround. Oh, I, I didn't buy yeah, his turnaround. That was really well handled. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. yeah, I didn't. He's didn't a bully, but yet he's not. Oh, and I got the bully part. That was fine. But yet he's not a complete hundred percent jerk. Well, and I never know? I never saw that until you know. It's no surprise people know this if you've seen the first movie. Peter Parker's uh, uncle dies. Yeah. Okay. And that, that shouldn't happens. be a shocker. I mean, that no. pretty much happens in every Spider-Man right, origin right. movie, but so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Which, you know, informs who he is and makes him, you know, makes him Spider-Man and everything. So anyways, um, that's, you know, he's bully, bully, bully. Spider-Man has a scene where he shows him up, not as Spider-Man, but as Peter mm-hmm. Parker, he shows him up the very next time you see him, uncle died. And he has become this nice guy who's sympathetic. Now granted in high school, if someone's, you know, person died that was in their family, yeah, you know, I imagine you're not going to go up and then bully that person. You're probably going to give them a day off. But would you approach them and then say, so, yeah. I just didn't buy that. The way they played Flash, I, I thought was pretty it. interesting. They played fa- Flash as this very passive aggressive guy where it's like, yeah, in the very first scene we see him, he is tormenting another kid. Correct. And he's like, hey, Peter Parker, take a picture of this. Okay, so he, right away, he's. He already has some level of respect for Peter to some degree. Hmm. Peter's not the initial guy he's picking on. True. But when Peter says, no, I'm not going to do that, Flash, you got to put him down. Stop. There is a little bit already of this, this, this respect level there. A little bit. Mm-hmm. More than we ever had in the first movie where Flash is just a bully and just picks on everybody. I think they're already setting the stage to say, you know what? Flash is actually, he's a human being. He's, he's, a, he's okay. He's got some real anger issues and he has to let out those anger issues when somebody doesn't agree with him or do what he wants. But he never consciously goes after Parker as a target. You know, he's just acting out because he's just got some anger issues. Hmm. And in a way that I was okay with that because he never once came up and was just completely mean to Peter Everything was more reactionary to people not listening to him or not giving him what he wants. So hmm. that's that was my that's my take on it. That's my little uh, psychology lesson for the okay. for the day here. Well, anyway. you you may have. You I may think have it worked okay over. for me. I, it bothered me initially, but maybe maybe you won me over. Did Tell you have you any sp- other criticisms of the film? Yes. Okay, let's hear them. I'd, then. I'd forgotten until you. Uh, yeah. Sh- why wasn't he shooting a digital camera? Oh, as a photographer. Yeah. Couldn't afford it. Mm. Yeah. Peter, okay. Question is why Peter Parker was still <laughs> shooting an analog camera as a photographer. I think to, to get re- the film developed. I I don't I don't know that I buy that. I, I think mean, that's I, more of an image thing. If it, if it had happened, you know, if they had set the movie in a different time period, I would I would buy that. But in this current day and age, what if that was a camera his father had given him? Uh, Maybe they should have mentioned that if that was the case, but that because that to me helped? it just doesn't make any sense. Like, why are you shooting? Why yeah. are you shooting film? I mean, granted, okay, maybe you're more of a snobby photographer, and you're like, it's the art of doing it or something, which maybe I could have bought, but they didn't explain that, and I'm just like, that makes no sense. Yeah. And at first, I actually thought it was set in a different time period, and then he starts going on his computer. I'm like, wait a second, know, you're this big savvy day. dude, yeah. and he misses out, which I liked. Um, they did a reference to. I guess in the next movie they're going to develop him as a reporter or a photographer for the paper mm-hmm. because they did a reference where he set the camera up and yes. was getting shots of, and it ends up not working. And I right. was like, okay, is that the payoff? Is that why this doesn't work? Because the film's ripped out and it's not on a car. Is that the only reason they did it so that he wouldn't get these pictures? But Could hello. Be. I, I think there were a lot of things that they were setting up for future films. And I think, I think they were trying to balance that line of we want to be more modern and hip and relevant to today's society. However, there's certain certain elements, certain images we want to make sure still get carried over. The image of the old analog camera with Peter Parker is very symbolic. I understand. So they kind of I think they felt the need to tie that in a little bit. The fact that they went to mechanical web shooters again instead of it coming out of his arm, which well, I think is really cool, because that always grossed me out with the first Spider-Man film. <laughs> to think that web shooting out of your body—that's just well, I guess wrong. <laughs> the choices they made 
I would have just chosen to, like the mechanical web shooter. That made sense to me. I bought that yeah. and I liked that right. choice. The choice of them having to shoot an analog camera yeah. didn't make sense to me. So All just right. different choices. Do you have anything else to nitpick on this film about? <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I do have something I really, really liked. Okay, but, tell um, me, please. Let's end on a positive. Yeah, yeah. But other than no, I think all my my nitpicks are done. Have do you have any other things that you? No, no. no. Okay. I, I think I think. Um, a couple scenes that eh, a little didn't work as well. The scene in the subway when he starts realizing his powers, I thought was not was a little sloppy and a little rushed. I would have liked a little more time of him starting to realize things were going on. Yeah. Um, a couple other minor scenes didn't work as well. I don't like CGI bad guys, and unfortunately, the lizard is a CGI creation. It was True. a little frustrating. But I, I thought it was as far as, as a CGI as character be. goes, is about as good as you can get. Um, so, other than that, a few little misgivings, but overall, no. It's just an overall and very enjoyable film for me. I, I was, I'll say I was going to saving my like favorite moment of the film, okay. and I really, really, really liked it. And it was one of those things where it rose above the past Spider-Man movies for me because it used an element of Spider-Man and I thought a really creative way. And mm-hmm. I don't remember him ever doing it before. There's a scene where he's in the sewer tunnels mm-hmm. and he lays out a web mm-hmm. kind of detection device yes. to keep things vague. You know, it just basically he puts out a web and it's his way of detecting where things might if be. If somebody's or if crawling in one of the tunnels or, or something. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Well, it was a cool visual of him actually sitting on top of the, the crux of all those web yeah. lines, like just hanging out. You know, and waiting. waiting. And yeah. Just like a normal spider. Yes. You know, I thought that scene was really, really well yeah. done and just a really cool idea. I thought that was. Thought well, that was I had awesome. my favorite scene, too. And it's very sl- slight uh, item. But uh, this the fight between Spider-Man and the lizard in the school, which I thought was probably the, my most enjoyable oh, no. fight. Are you talking about the cameo? No, 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 okay, no. I'm talking. <laughs> I thought overall the whole school fight scene was really well done because yeah. Spider-Man was probably his most humorous with his lines. It was like a truly good fight, you know, it good was battle. Surprising that that happened too. Yeah. That really surprised me that they took the fight to the school. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. overall, that whole thing was pretty, pretty well done. I thought. But there's a scene where you know the lizard knows Peter Parker, Spider Man. They fight a little bit, and he throws Peter Parker through a wall or something, and Peter's gone for a, a few moments, and the lizard's there, kind of taunting him to come out. And when he jumps out, he's got the costume on, and the music swells a little bit. To me, it was just it was mm-hmm. a really nicely done. Perfect superhero Spider moment. Spider Man moment. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's okay. like there was no reason he needed to put his costume on other than that made him who he was. <laughs> sure. So I thought that worked out really well. Um, a lot of good scenes. I could keep going on and on with this. Um, it sounds like overall we both enjoyed the film. I really enjoyed it. The difference for us or the challenge for us was just realizing we had to separate this film from the older one, which was only 10 years ago. The first one came out. It's a little tough. Um, a lot of repeating, a lot of uh, similar things that did hurt the film a little bit. But overall, I still think very enjoyable. Chris, would you recommend to people they still check it out? Yes. It's okay. And I, I think uh, for those listeners that have heard our review of the Avengers, I liked it better than the Avengers. Really? So Great. you stepped up. What I'm looking forward to is like, you know, Avengers was good. Spider-Man was better. Oh, I know what you're waiting for. Batman I think will be the best. Yeah. I got a feeling. But, you know, it could really let me down because my expectations are pretty high. Expectations are pretty sky high. I got to admit, expectations were very low going into the Spider-Man movie. So it's very easy to impress people at this point. Uh, Dark Knight Rises will be the key for the superhero clan out there to see how it does. So (laughs) great. Well, that is our review of the amazing Spider-Man. Wow. We talked a long, long time on that one. We did. Um, Next up, though, is, is trying to keep with our format of one more mainstream film every time we get together. And then one that we consider our little foot candle film. It's our smaller film that we've seen here locally. Just had a screening last night of the documentary Bully. So let's hear a clip from the trailer. I feel kind of nervous going to school because I like learning, but I have trouble with making friends. said he's a geek some kids have told him he's worthless to go hang himself and i think he got to the point where enough was enough tonight a tragic situation a perkins boy just 11 years old believed to have been we are both parents of young children and i would i would imagine uh that you and i are both conscious of the idea of bullying i mean we went to school at a different time where yes there were bullies Mm -hmm. i don't think it was to the level that we know exist in the school systems today. There's a lot more things for kids to be 
picked on about. There's a lot more uh, differences in children at times. There's a lot more anxiety about things. I think bullying has definitely been elevated as an issue, even more so than you and I when we were kids in, in high school or middle school. So a documentary has come out recently, one that got a lot of attention and controversy for its rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially rated R because I think it's some choice language used in the film. Uh, the Weinsteins who put this documentary out uh, really fought hard to get it down to a PG-13 rating because they wanted to make sure kids could see it. You know, it's one thing to talk to the parents about bullying. And yes, parents have a certain role, but, you know, the kids need to hear these messages too. So I think that was the whole reason for trying to get the rating down to PG-13. But this film, Bully, documentary, came out this year from director Lee Hirsch. Uh, I did not get a chance to see it, unfortunately, last night due to some unforeseen cir- circumstances, but you did. Yes. So I'm really curious. Uh, I'm, I'm desperately wanting to seek this film out. I had really looked forward to seeing it last night. Can you tell me, as both a documentary from a film standpoint and from a content de- standpoint, did it work on either or both of those fronts for you? Okay, let's see, which is going to be the easiest to talk about first. Let's, from a content standpoint, let's So the content, talking about bullying as a theme and the messages conveying. Um, From a content standpoint, they did a good job of following several different kids. It wasn't just one kid. Right. Um, But they followed several kids around and showed the repercussions of bullying and how it affects them, how it affects their family, how it affects their siblings, possibly how it affects their friends that may see them getting bullied. It did a good job of focusing on that. Um, And I think it would be a very important film for people to see, you know, adults, definitely Um, anyone who has children, definitely seek it out. And then probably for middle school and high school, I think it would be a good film for them. Younger than that, probably not, because there is some stuff that does. It would be a shame for this film to have been rated R. You know, they've kind of backed off now to PG-13, but R keeps the people that need to see it from seeing it. Mm. But PG-13, I think, is good enough that parents aren't going to be like, oh, it's a PG movie. I'll just stick it in for my kids. You wouldn't want to do that. It's a pretty rough movie, right? It has some rough stuff, but it needs to be. And it's not not like in-your-face gratuitous violence. Like, for example, you know, there's stuff that happens in Spider-Man that this, you know, that is just as violent. Some stuff's happening mm. there. So if that's PG-13, this should right. be... The fact sure. that this is real, I think, made them... From a content standpoint, before you get into more of the technical side of it, being a documentary, right? is this something that you feel like is more important for kids who may be bullies to see? Or is it more important for the parents of possible bullies to see? Or mm. is it for those who are being bullied? Where Who is the target audience for this and the message that it's trying to convey? Um, wow. That's going to spill over into the documentary side. Okay. So let me try to answer that sure. as effectively as possible. It's definitely for kids who are being bullied. Okay? okay. That's the good target. And in a way it could be for the bullies to make them realize you are having this effect. Do you realize what you're doing? Kind now, of a, hopefully an eye opener to some of those kids. Now let me, let me transition over into the, how is this as a documentary? Okay. Um, it frustrated me in the movie they followed what was happening to the recipients of the bullying. Mm-hmm. They followed that very well, but they never attacked, not attacked, but they never investigated why they were really being bullying, bullied. Hmm. Like they never, they would, they, at one point they did identify at least two bullies and they clearly showed that they were bullies. I wish they would have interviewed them. Hmm. They had them. They had. They were taken to a guidance counselor's office. They basically admitted that they had done some bullying. They were reprimanded by an assistant principal. And at that point, it just would have been – it would have made it more of a documentary to me if they would have said, okay – why are you doing, you've admitted you're doing this. Right. Why are you doing this? So they never really explored that, that deeply, the reasons for bullying. No, it's it was more like, of the effects, right? It's just, this is happening. This is bad in the movie. There are some deaths. There's hmm. a hanging. There's oh, no, wow. that. yeah. And so that happens because of bullying. Okay. And so they, they definitely, you know, the ramifications and the fact that this is serious, but it, it, it painted the bullies as just they are nothing but evil. And I, I wish that there had been a little bit more even handedness to figure out not necessarily that what they did is excusable, but why they did it. Because mm. to me, just trying to 
make a law or legislate it isn't going to solve the problem. You need to figure out why the people are bullying and try to help that in addition to trying to get them to prevent them from bullying people, but to make the problem go away. You know, does that yeah. make any No, sense? sure. So what I'm, what I'm getting from you is that this was more of an exploration of the effects of bullying and to hear the stories of those who have gone through bullying situations and the way it's affected the people around them. But it's not a deep investigative documentary on why bullies do what they do the the effects the influences they have on attacking others and being so vicious with others right and it it it, it irritated me too because it it is good for people who have been bullied to see that there is hope i mean yes right. there's a lot of despair in here too because some people kill themselves but yeah. there's hope because there's families that kind of unite mm. and they kind of say this is what we're going to do and this we're going to not be quiet about this we're going to make this the sure. national issue and actually, I'm pleased that in, I have two young kids, and at their elementary school, every year they have a bully, anti-bullying week. Sure, yes. So they talk about it. It's out there. They know about it. Right. So that's you know that gives me hope. But I just wish that there had been – I felt like the documentary makers kind of got off of asking some of the tough questions. Hmm. Like they could have confronted – now, granted, the bullies were young kids. So, okay, okay but – there are some parental figures in this movie that for whatever reason, there's a young boy who's being bullied. His mother is interviewed at length. Okay. The father who I think is more like the son is not interviewed. Hmm. He is never interviewed. He's never asked about anything. And some of his ways that he talks to his son, I think the documentary filmmaker could at some point not jump in and put himself in the film. That wouldn't have been good. Right. But could have had some conversations with him that might have shed some more light on things. And they just, to me, they kind of took the easy way out. They also painted school administration in many cases and law enforcement in many cases in a very poor light. Okay. Like they're just not taking, well, they don't care. I was going to ask who comes out looking bad out of this movie. And so that's, that's where it sounds and like the answer I is. I feel like there again, they paint, they did that by, they would be in these scenarios where they would, you know, have a camera there and conversation would be going on, but they never took those officials to the side and said, okay, now why don't you tell me, you know, why do you think bullying is not that big of an issue or okay. how do you know they never let them kind of comment. All they did was these structured conversations. So I I, that, that kind of bothered me. So it sounds like the content area you're saying is, is important. It was a, it was a good, good messages to be hearing, but as a documentary, it didn't really go into all the aspects that it probably could have or should have to really explore this issue. The as full as potential. Right. I mean, it was, it, it, brought to the forefront a topic that is important. But as far as exploring it and understanding why things were happening, not so much. And see, that's more of my, I I, I know the effects of bullying. Um, I don't mind watching a documentary that explores more of the effects of bullying. But my biggest question mark when it comes to bullying is what are the influences causing bullies to be bullies? Right. And it doesn't sound like that really gets answered very well. Right. And I guess, you know, maybe they just didn't think that would be as interesting subject matter, because if you were to ask people, why do you think a bully is a bully? Well, he probably gets beat up at home or his parents are drug addicts. See, that's where I want to backtrack a little bit and find out. Is it the kids are acting out because of their home situation? Is it because of what they're being taught by their parents? Is it because of something with society? Uh, Who knows? I'm curious about that. So it's good for me knowing and to go when I go to see this film that that's not really going to be investigated very deeply. This is really talking about those who have gone through bullying situations and the effects of them and their, their families and people around them. Correct. Okay. So, I mean, do you recommend people check this out, you know, as a, as a documentary? Do you see think people ought to seek this out for its subject matter? How do you recommend this? I, 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 I would recommend people seek it out rather from a documentary perspective or just for a content perspective because yeah. they want to learn about it. It's, it's, it is an issue and, you know, it teaches – you know, it tries to make people realize how the things that you say and the things that you do, that yeah, they they affect people. Sure. And so you should really be careful of what you're what you're doing. I will say one of the aspects too that I thought they were going to go down a bully path with, and I was the wrong word is not excited that they were going to go down the bully path. But there's a young lady who pulls a gun on a bus, okay, and 
And she was being bullied. And as a result, she pulls a gun on a bus and then starts kind of waving it around and making threats. Now, it would have been interesting for them to take that and then say, okay, now you are the bully. You have this gun. Why were you doing that? And so to try to see, like, how did that feel to be a bully? Do you realize, you know, like, and they didn't take that option. Mm -hmm. But I thought that was, and I thought they were. And then they were going to paint her in the light of, like, she's a bully. She's misunderstood. So that was... That was interesting. And I think actually someone was saying last night that they had heard that was one of the reasons the film got rated R because yeah. it shows a girl pulling a gun and it's see. real footage that was captured sure. on a bus video camera oh or boy. whatever. Wow. And it shows her like brandishing a gun. Ouch. And, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks for the review, Chris. And uh, maybe if I get a chance to check out check it out in the coming weeks, I will uh, chime in with that as well. So appreciate the, uh, the feedback on the review there. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I will be taking Chris down the yellow brick road for some movie news, as well as uh, taking a little boat ride. I'm going to leave you guessing on both okay. of those. And we're also going to be coming back with our recommendations. Uh, and I'll go ahead and give you a fair notice, Chris, my recommendation for this month is one pulled straight from my Hall of Shame films I had never seen until just recently. So stay tuned for that when we come back from Foot Candle Films. Main Cellar City Club, Hickory's premier music and event venue, welcomes to the stage rock band Winger, Friday, July 20th. On Saturday, July 21st, Main Cellar hosts an intimate dinner show with Grammy-winning guitarist and indie award-winning duo Al Pettiway and Amy White. For more information on these shows and others, contact Main Cellar at 828-345-6246 or visit their Facebook page. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films. I'm Alan. This is Chris. Hello. And what we've done, we've just had our two main reviews where we talked about The Amazing Spider-Man and the documentary Bully. Mm -hmm. So with that, we'd like to transition into a little bit of movie news. I've got a couple items I want to throw out. I have fun with this where I pull some headlines from some either movies in production or directors that we're big fans of. And let's talk about what our thoughts are on this news regarding a possible upcoming movie or or a a career move by one of our actors or directors we like. And then we'll finish up the show by both of us giving a recommendation for a film that is currently available online, can be reviewed on Netflix or some other streaming service uh, that we think you ought to check out. So let's go on to the movie news first. Uh, I mentioned the yellow brick road before the break here. Did you know that there is a prequel to The Wizard of Oz currently in production and about to be wrapped and released next year? No. Did not know that. Is it a musical? It is not a musical that I'm aware of, but it is a connection with the very first movie that we reviewed. Okay. The film is Oz, the Great and Powerful. Two connections to the Spider-Man series. Okay. One, the director is Sam Raimi. Two, it stars James James Franco. James Franco stars (laughs) as the man who becomes the Wizard of Oz. The actual Oz. This is a story about how he becomes the Wizard of Oz. Hmm. So you really hadn't heard about this? No. Wow. Okay, well, let me tell you some of the other details on this. I don't know. I mean, it just sounds goofy enough that if somebody told me the premise, and I remember people telling me, oh, go see Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm like, really? A movie based on a ride at Disney World? That's really a movie. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I went and saw it. Awesome. However, there's also Battleship that was based on a game that was not good. So this sounds really goofy. But I don't know. Well, it is Sam Raimi, who I'm I'm hit or miss on. I don't think he did a great job with Spider-Man 1 and 3. I thought number 2 was really good. Hmm. But I didn't like number 1. I was really let down with the first one. Really? third one I thought was just crap. Um, <laughs> but I do like some of his other things. I actually think uh, Simple Plan was a film he did that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Evil Dead movies I haven't seen in years. But those were kind of fun and, and done very creatively. I don't know how I feel about this one either. Um, it's interesting. If this was a no-name director with a no-name cast, it would be another one of those direct-to-DVD movies that I wouldn't really care about. But you've got How's Sam he- Raimi directing. You've got James Franco starring. Michelle Williams hmm. is in it as Glenda, the, the, the Good Witch. Witch. Yeah, sure. You've got uh, Rachel Weiss in here playing a character I'm not familiar with. Hmm. And you've also got Myla Kunis in here as another character that I'm not familiar with. So some really good acting chops in there. And no matter whatever you say about James Franco, the guy can act if he needs to. Sure. (laughs) I think the question is, does he actually want to in some films? I think in the Spider-Man films, he was pretty bad. 
but I do think in uh, 127, 127 hours. hours was really good. Oh, yeah. And a couple other things he did, I thought he did as well. He did a pretty good job on. So hmm. Oz the Great and Powerful. Interesting, maybe? Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's it's interesting. I probably would not rush out and see it, but, um, I you know, it, it's it's interesting. March 2013, we're looking at. So a little hmm. less than a year away. So huh. anyway, thought that was kind of an interesting tie-in with the original Spider-Man films. And I wonder, I wonder if their plan, like you have to wonder, why is he doing that? Yeah, like, is, are they trying to reboot Oz movies? Would they may, remake Wizard of Oz? Well, Which would be interesting. That would be very interesting. Actually, I could see like, well, but Sam Raimi's not him. But if it's like Sam Raimi's vision, where like, you know, Tim Burton redoing Wizard of Oz or something like that, where it's not a musical and it's just like the story. I could see maybe for some reason they decide to do it. Well, and I think the question becomes, too, kind of like it was with uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Is why. Why, but when I heard the reason why for remaking those films, it made sense. The original book was very different than the movie that we originally got. Mm-hmm. Same as with The Wizard of Oz. Right. I've never read the book that The Wizard of Oz And there's made. several books. There's yes, like Return there are, there's a whole Oz, series. Yeah, yes. I've never read those books. My understanding is that the book was fairly different than the movie we got you know, uh, with uh, the Judy Garland movie. Sure. Um, so if somebody came in and said, I want to do it very faithful to the book, that's interesting to me. As long as it's different enough that it's not just a shot by shot for shot remake with new stars. Right. Um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I know that was the intent. Tim Burton wanted to make a film that was more like the original novel than what we got with the Gene Wilder movie. A, it wasn't really that much different. No. And B, it wasn't anywhere as good. So... That didn't work. But I'm all for directors wanting to go back and explore source material and try a new slant on it. But you know, if it comes out to be 95% the same, Which just with new actors, I don't see the point. Right. So that's where I am with that. Now, moving from that one classic story to an even more classic story, the film Noah coming out in 2014 is the next film by Darren Aronofsky. Yeah, we mentioned this a while, long Yeah, well, time it's ago. kind of taking a little bit more shape here, which I think is okay. interesting. I'm very curious about this. You haven't heard anything since the original. Yeah, there mentioned. seems to be right now kind of a, a, a real motion to do more biblical-related stories and movies. Because hmm. you've got this one, the Noah story with the Ark mm-hmm. by Darren Aronofsky. Uh, about the same time now that this has been in production, there's now news coming out that Will Smith is planning on doing a film about Cain and Abel. Whoa, I did not had not heard that. Yeah, so we're kind of getting these stories starting to come back around a little bit. I don't know if we're getting back to a period like we did with the Ten Commandments and some of those movies. Mm-hmm. A little more of the biblical stories starting to get told a little bit more. I don't know. I don't know if this is part of something, of a movement or not. But I'm very curious about this Darren Aronofsky movie. Uh, I was a huge fan of Black Swan. I like pretty much all of uh, other Aronofsky's films. The Wrestler was one of my yeah. favorites that year. So this is uh, Russell Crowe starring as Noah. Um, you've got Emma Watson from the Harry Potter series in it. You've got Jennifer Connelly, who was with Darren Aronofsky in uh, what was the film that she was in with him? Was it Requiem for a Dream? Yes, Requiem yeah. for a Dream, the really disturbing one. Right. Um, so sounds still really interesting, but I'm just curious. Our, our, uh, I'm curious if we're going to start to see some of these more classic uh, biblical-related stories if, start to make a renaissance here in the movies. If anyone could make a movie... About, like, yeah, the Noah story that would be interesting to me. It would be Darren Aronofsky. Well, interesting is going to be the key word for it. Um, I'm just curious when I hear a project like this, is he going down a last temptation of Christ like Scorsese did back in the 80s where he is going to take a very radical view of the interpretation of the story? Or is he going for a more uh, general audience type of appeal? I don't know. I really don't. I would assume he's going to do something very strange, but yeah, good because you think of something like the fountain, yeah, which was crazy. Yes, and you think of him applying that idea, those that kind of sensibility to something like yeah, the flooding and all that stuff. But you I, know what I loved about Aronofsky is the fact that he went from the fountain, which we, like he said, was crazy, mm-hmm. way out there, very visual, very stylish, very imaginative, to the wrestler, yeah, which was. To me, a wonderful movie, but it was about as close to documentary style, very straightforward narrative, Mm -hmm. nothing really crazy going on (laughs) other than some very tenseful moments. But, you know, it was very two polar opposite films and they both worked to some degree. Now, I thought The Fountain had its problems, but it wasn't a lack of ambition. I mean, it was just some things were very 
confusing and hard to follow. <laughs> and it made the enjoyment of the film a little less than maybe it could have been. Right. So Aronofsky, I, I know we've mentioned him before in our news, but I, I just, he's a fascinating director for me. Um, well, he pulled out of doing the Wolverine movie, which was my tie in back to the superhero shame. movie because he was going to be the next big radical superhero director kind of following like uh, what they've been doing with the Dark Knight series. Mm -hmm. Um, I was really curious to see Darren Aronofsky try to tackle the superhero genre. He pulled out of that production for whatever reason. Hmm. And this is the film he settled on working on. So very curious. Yeah. Two films I'm very interested in, some classic tales being told. The key is going to be what what angle are they taking with these? I'll I'll buy a ticket for the Noah movie now. Noah's (laughs) definitely a lot more interesting to me than – than the Oz film, but I'm curious about both. I think it's going to be really key to see how family friendly are they? How unique are they? How visionary are they? A lot of good, similar questions between both films. Right. I'm imagining for some reason, I'm imagining the, uh, Oz, what is Mm -hmm. it called? Oz, the great and powerful. I'm I'm imagining that being as much of a mess as, uh, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. That's kind of what I'm in. And I envision James Franco, being like the Mad Hatter, like you know, it's like having a Johnny Depp doing, yeah, yeah, and like kind of being this wacky wizard thing. And I'm just like, mm. it's to me, not knowing anything about it, just it sounds like a mess like that was. But maybe, well, I will say, the Oz, the Great and Powerful. Supposedly, there's a trailer out now as oh. of this week. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, that'll tell us a lot about the tone of the film. True. Um, Noah is still a ways off. I think that's a 2014 movie, so mm. we've got a ways to wait for Noah. But um, interesting things. Yeah. Okay, now's the part of the show where we like to talk about some recommendations. We kind of close out the show, leaving you with an idea of a film that you could actually go out today, shut off your iPod listening to this podcast, and go watch these films right now if you really wanted to. Uh, we like to give some recommendations, tell you why we recommend them. And the key is these are ones either available through Amazon online or Netflix or some other source of getting movies pretty quick. Chris, you and I, we both have kids. We both have full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. We stay pretty busy. Getting out to the movie theater on a regular basis is tough for us at times. Um, we do our best to do it, to review these new films, but it's still tricky and costly. Yes. This is now a, a way of saying, hey, there's a lot of good films out there online that you can check out as well. So with that, Chris, let me turn it over to you. I want to hear your your recommendation for this month. I'll give you a reason to maybe go see the new movie that's coming out called The Watch. Um, okay. It's a comedy that has Ben Stiller yeah. and Vince uh, Vaughn. Yeah, Vince Vaughn. And it has also in the cast, if you've seen the previews, it has a guy with kind of an afro and some nerdy looking oh, glasses. I know where you're going with this. His name is Richard Ayode. I'm going to stick yes, with that. Ayode. I believe you're right. Um, anyways, has him in it. And you're kind of thinking, why are you mentioning him? <laughs> well, he wrote and directed a 2010 movie called Submarine. And it's a uh, yes. comedy, coming of age, comedy drama. And it's very, it was set in, uh, over in England, uh, Swansea, which I think is, I don't know, somewhere over in England. But anyways, um, it's, it has a very Wes Anderson feel to it. I had heard that about it. And, um, but don't let that discourage you. Um, it's not copying Wes Anderson as much, is it? I mean, no, I don't feel like it because I feel like, um, I guess you could think, looking at the trailer, you could think it looks very a lot like Rushmore. Okay. Um, I have seen the trailer, and I did think it seems like a, a Rushmore knockoff. And, I mean, I could see how you could think that, but don't let that discourage you, because the guy who plays is a boy called Oliver Tate, and he is amazing. And he it's a different story. It's basically kind of like a love story, teen love mm-hmm. story. And it's, he makes the movie worthwhile and makes his performances so different from anything that was in okay. Rushmore. And also, Sally Hawkins uh, plays his mom. Oh, wow. I didn't know she was in that. Yeah. And she is not, she does not look very good. <laughs> <laughs> and his father, I can't remember the guy's name who plays the father, but if you see him, I think it's um, Noah Taylor, I think, plays his father. But it's just, he's a really strange looking actor, and he right. plays the dad. And it's interesting because the whole movie centers around his relationship or he wants to date this girl. Mm-hmm. At the same time, his parents have a very strained relationship. So he's trying to like kind of keep his parents together yet develop this relationship with this girl that he's in high school with. And so it's a very interesting kind of parallel examination uh-huh. of how relationships work. Um, so it's, it's the cinematography in it is awesome. The music, which reminds you a lot of how Wes Anderson pairs music mm-hmm. with, um, moments in cinema is, is, it'll remind you of Wes Anderson, but it's, it's really good. 
and uh, I, I urge you to check it out. And it's streaming on Netflix. Well, a couple interesting notes on the director and writer, Richard Ayode. Yes. Um, I did notice him in the trailer for The Watch. He is the one character that most American audiences are going to see Say, in the trailer and be like, who's that guy? Who, who are you? Right. <laughs> um, I have been watching the IT crowd, the IT crowd on Netflix ah. streaming, which is a British a sitcom okay. that he has been in or was in for several years. Okay. So my wife and I are now in season two. We've been watching it. He plays a character named Moss, which hysterical character is a hmm. very similar to a big Bane theory over in England. Okay. Uh, he plays a very uh, eccentric character, very, uh, a lot of curious texts to him and all. Hmm. Um, so I started researching him and saw, Oh wow. He'd made a movie and wrote and directed a movie submarine, which I've actually got on my Netflix okay. queue lined up to see. It's good. And then I read even more that he's actually directed music videos for one of my all time favorite bands, the Arctic monkeys. Hmm. He's supposedly really good friends with the band. He's directed some of their music videos. Interesting. So I'm very curious about this guy now. And now he's kind of coming over to America, starring in a big budget comedy film, starting coming out in a few weeks. Interesting uh, trajectory for this guy. Mm-hmm. I'm very, I already had this film on on my queue. I'm definitely going to bump it up a little bit more after your recommendation. Well, what was interesting to me too is I noticed Ben Stiller produced the movie Submarine and Submarine. Oh, really? Yeah. And so now he's in this movie with Ben Stiller. So I'm wondering, did Ben Stiller see maybe the IT yeah. crowd? He's like, this guy, yeah, yeah, this guy's good. He's yeah. really funny in the IT crowd. I wonder if he had any writing on the watch with I Ben Stiller. I wonder we'll if he had any writing and on see, that. But uh, definitely uh, somebody to watch. I mean, to know that he's an actor, director, and writer and has pulled off some pretty impressive things so far. Uh, yeah, I think he's somebody we'll definitely be seeing a lot more of here in the States in the coming years. Cool. Okay. With mine, I mentioned before the break that I've got my, uh, my, my wall of shame. There are several <laughs> films that Netflix keeps reminding me that I really need to see. It highly recommend that I've never seen before. Okay. Ones that every time I get into a conversation about films with people, it's normally the ones when they bring up a film, I have to kind of mutter and say something incoherent to disguise the fact that I don't know what I'm talking about because I've never seen that film before. I'm curious as to what film this is. So this is a film that's been on my queue for a while and while I was traveling I finally got a chance to see it. It's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh! Never seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Jack Nicholson. Yeah. 1975 film, Milo's Foreman. Uh, I'm sure many of you listening to this podcast have probably seen this film. But here's what my recommendation is. If you haven't seen it in a really long time, you need to see it again. Hmm. If you've never seen it, you need to go see this film. And okay. it is on Netflix at Netflix instant. And you can stream it ready to go. I, I've always been so torn on Jack Nicholson. Hmm. I like him as an actor, but I do think in the last 20 to 30 years, his stuff is kind of one note. He's fallen into a rut. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like what Al Pacino has been to some degree as well. A little bit of a caricature of himself. Right. I was one of the people that, Although I enjoyed his role as the Joker in the Tim Burton Batman movie, I also kind of thought it was just Jack being Jack Nicholson turned up to 11. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've seen him in other movies. I, he was more recently in uh, The Departed. Mm-hmm. And there again, it was just Jack Nicholson being Jack Nicholson. I didn't really get it. Right. It kind of took me going back to this film and watching this to realize, okay, no, this guy had some really strong acting chops right? because I was really impressed with his performance in this film. Yes, it was still Jack Nicholson being Jack Nicholson, but it was a young, raw, unshaped Jack Nicholson at that point where I think he was just starting to develop that crazy Nicholson personality. Sure. And he really let it fly in this, this film. And it's just, it was a, it's a great movie. It's one that I really hate that it took me so long to get around to seeing. What'd you think? I don't remember the actress's name, but the one who played Nurse Ratched, what'd you think of Louise her? Fletcher. Okay, what'd you think? You know, the thing is, I've always heard Nurse Ratched as right. the example of like the perfect bad villain in a movie. <laughs> and you know, going in with that mentality, I actually, yes, she was not very pleasant, but yet I also kind of sympathized with her at times a little bit. Hmm. Almost going in with thinking that she was going to be this pitch perfect villain actually made her a little more human for me to see. Um, I thought she was good. Um, Maybe I expected a little more from her role just because of how much I've been hearing about it in pop culture for like the last 20 years. But um, I thought that was good. I didn't know Danny DeVito was in the film. One of his first film appearances as one of the, uh, uh, the residents of the Mm -hmm. psychiatric hospital. Um, But man, this was a good movie. Very good. Very unexpected at the end. 
I did not expect it to go the directions it did with the main character and how it all ended uh, wrapped up. Right. Um, but really good, really interesting. I think it brought up a lot of good questions. I think you find yourself asking the same question throughout the film. Is Jack Nicholson's character really crazy or was it kind of an act? I mean, you still find yourself wrestling with that a little bit towards the end, which that to me is a sign of a good movie. It had me thinking afterwards. Um, I think knowing that it was back in 75, one of the first depictions on film of a true mental institution Mm -hmm. uh, that was really pretty authentic. And I think pretty had a lot of realism uh, mixed in there. Um, It was just, it was a good movie. Very surprising for me how well done it was. And one that I seriously regret having not seen for my entire life. You've seen it though, right? Yes, I have. And I, and I liked it. I would be curious to go back and revisit it to see Jack Nicholson yeah, in a but just yeah. a young, uh, un, untidied Jack Nicholson, right. kind of left to turn loose. I got the impression that that Milo's foreman, the director, probably did say in some of those scenes, "You know, Jack, just turn it loose, just go, just mm-hmm. do something," and uh, and it showed those times. I think directors that do that <laughs> now, we get the same old, uh, same old dog and pony show, Jack Nicholson. This was him really when he was trying to find out what kind of character he wanted to be hmm. in the theater. And I just thought it was a great movie. So I definitely encourage you to check it out. It's worth seeing. It is a long one. It's 133 minutes. So I uh, plan on maybe a two-sitting movie for this one. But definitely worth checking out on Netflix Instant, available now. Okay, Chris, I think we're done. Another okay. successful episode. Yeah. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man. We both said a good movie. Uh, I was more enthusiastic about it. We both had our misgivings with it being fairly similar to the original Spider-Man movie. Uh, this film, Bully. Chris got to see, does recommend it, mm-hmm. uh, tackle some very important subject matter and important film to see, but maybe didn't explore all the aspects of the situation that a good documentary could have done. Sure. Uh, we talked about some news, Oz, the great and powerful and Noah, both coming to theaters in the next few years, taking some very old classic tales and putting a new spin on them. And then our recommendations, one, uh, submarine from Chris and then one flew over the cuckoo's nest, a more classic pick from me. All right, we're going to wrap it up. We will be together next month. Uh, I think we're planning on dropping in, though, from time to time with some little small film reviews of some new movies. Uh, Can't guarantee what frequency we'll do that with. But we are hoping to have a couple of those maybe in between our monthly shows. It's the summer, so there are lots of movies. There's lots of movies. Actually, we're going to go ahead and record my little quick review of the film Ted that I did see recently. I think right after this one, we'll put it up pretty soon after this film comes out. Is that Foot Candle Spotlight? Is that what we're we're going with? Yeah, I like the sound of that. Foot Candle Spotlight. That's going to be our Foot Candle Spotlight films. So if you have subscribed to our show, which we hope you have, Mm -hmm. uh, you will get those little spotlight uh, episodes in between whenever we put one out. Uh, If you have not subscribed, please do so. You can go to iTunes and click the subscribe button or any other podcast reader that you use to listen to the shows. If you have any questions for us, feedback, things you'd like to say about movies we've talked about or your own opinions, please let us know. We would love to see them. Our, in, our email address is info at themesh.tv. That's themesh, T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV. And uh, send us a note. Let us know it's for Foot Candle Films. Tell us whatever you'd like to tell us. And maybe it's something we can read in a future episode in our mailbag. Uh, you can also visit our website at themesh.tv just to see a little bit more about the other shows on the network and go back and even listen to old episodes of Foot Candle Films. Uh, even though you know, the films we talk about are new films, so obviously by the time you go back and listen to old episodes, they're not new anymore. Right. A lot of them are available on DVD yep. or online, so the reviews kind of still apply. And uh, Plus, I think it'd be interesting. We ought to do this one day. Go back and listen to some of our old shows where we're talking about news for films that are coming out soon. Mm-hmm. And now they have come out and we've had our reactions to them and see if our initial impression of what that film was going to be like mm-hmm. is anything matched close? how yeah. it actually came out. That could be kind of a fun going back blast from the past at time we need to do. Sure. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. We will be back next month with a full episode, but stay tuned for some of these spotlight episodes as we release those whenever we have a new film to review. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care.
film society. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. Conclusion of the movie, we see credits. And we're talking about Amazing Spider-Man again. Amazing so. Spider-Man, okay. All right. yeah. So, yeah, the credits. Conclusion, credits are rolling. And then you see a prison scene. Yep. And you see the lizard, and he is... You see the lizard in human form. In human form, yeah. You right. see the doctor, sure. Dr. Connors. Yep. And he's hanging out, and you hear voices. Or he's like, voices, and then he says... There's appears to be another figure in the another figure appears in the room. He says, out of the did shadows. you tell him the truth about about did you tell the boy the truth about his parents? Right. And he says, leave him alone. Yeah. The lizard guy says, I didn't. And you need to leave him alone. Yeah. Connor said, I didn't. And you need to leave him alone. And that's it. Okay. The guy walks away, disappears back in the shadows. Scene's done. OK. So are we to assume that is um, Osborne or whatever. Well, okay. Here's a little, a little. Or are we it, to assume that's just a dialogue? Because he hears voices when he's down in the sewer. Like yeah, he, he the lizard, kind of this- uh, Doctor Connors hears voices in his head, but it's his own voices talking as a, more of a lizard style voice. So I don't think that's the deal. I think this was a real character okay. that we see in that in that, and we don't know if it's a prison or a mental hospital or what, but it's something right. where he's locked up. Yeah. Um, okay. Supposedly there was an interview with the actor who played Kirk Connors. Um, at some convention recently. (laughs) I saw this written up online. Okay. Somebody was asking him about that final scene and he voluntarily offered the fact that it was not Norman Osborn in that scene, but it is a character associated with Norman Osborn that fans of the comic book would, would recognize. So we don't know what the deal is there. Now you want to hear my, you want to hear my philosophy on my, my, I do, but let me say something before I forget, which is also a criticism of Spider-Man, not a spoiler. Or maybe it is. I don't know. But they keep, they're at Oscorp, yeah. right? And that's formed by Osborne, dude. He's not in the movie. Norman Osborne is never in the movie. And he's not in the movie, but they keep mentioning him something about he's dying. He's dying, yes. And that kind of irritated me that they kept mentioning that. And you know him from the other movies where he was the goblin. And so, See, like, that kind that's, of. But that's, that's the same issue you're talking about, though. If the other movies had never existed, that would not be an issue at all. Norman Osborn would be almost this like mystery character that we know nothing about. We just know that he created this company and he's dying now. The fact that we've seen a Norman Osborn in a previous movie is what kind of stinks about this whole thing. Yeah. It, it clouds our perception of it. True. Here's my, here's what I believe is happening at the end of the film. Mysterio. And I could be completely wrong with this. No, no Mysterio. Oh, although okay. that would be awesome. <laughs> um, I think Peter Parker's father is still alive. And I think that's him. I think Peter Parker's father is Norman Osborn. That's my philosophy. That's what I'm going to say right there. I think Norman Osborn. I'm going to. I'm so that guessing, is Norman Osborn. Well, I'm guessing that they are playing up Norman Osborn as almost a mythical figure that very few people have either seen or really know. But it truly is. I bet you. I bet you Peter Parker's father. Well, we know father, that he was married. Are you saying his the father that disappeared? Yes. Is. Not really his father. I don't think I think I think they may be pulling an Obi-Wan Kenobi telling Luke that his father died when his father didn't really die. Oh uh, see what I'm saying? He became another person. Yeah. That's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing the father took off Peter's father when he was a kid. That was like fifteen years ago or so. With the mother. Father years, and mother took ten off years together. ago. Yep. But I mean there was a plane guessing, crash. I am guessing that he faked his death. Took on a new personality to continue his work and has like somehow either he is dying now or he's like living in seclusion or something. That is my belief. Huh. I could be way off on this. There's a lot of ways to poke holes in that theory, but that's my theory right now. 